Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Hulkmine Coffee Live. <clears throat> I do apologize for my voice. It's not quite strong yet. It was sick earlier this week, but it's good to see each and every one of you. And we're going to be talking about where in the world we, the Bible shows us where Satan lives. Well, at least in the text we're talking about, we're going to see that this is where Satan dwells. We're going to talk about that. It's kind of interesting, a little bit different, but I want to bring on my brother here. Jonah, good morning. Good to see you. How are you? Morning. Doing good. Ready to try our best to tackle this uh, hard uh, book of Revelation, but it's going to be a good morning. Oh, yeah, it's good. And we're excited to journey through this. And so if you haven't been a part of this before, this is verse by verse through the Bible. We just finished Hebrews. You can go back and check that out. Now we're going through Revelation verse by verse. And so we're excited to see everybody here. Let's look at the comments. Belinda, it's good to see you. Glad you're here with us. And then Mark Kerr, catching this at work for the first time to see what it's all about. Well, we're glad you're here. We really are. Feel free if you guys have questions as we go along to drop those in the comments and we'll be do our best to get to them as we can. But we're going to do our housekeeping. First of all, if this is your first time with us, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe. That does uh, help us uh, out there. But let's go on to our, uh, I guess, the ad break before we jump into the scriptures. This is the only ad break in the entire thing. If you want the free Hochma and coffee background, make sure you jump down into the comment section. I said comment section, but I think it's called the description. Into the description and grab that for yourself. Also, we've got the new mug out there. If you want to be a part of the cool mug club, you can go and grab that in the description as well. I also want to say a big thank you to our supporters. We've got Judy Murphy, Gary Pence, Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, Cindy Erickson. They have been supporting us for years now, and I just want to say a huge thank you to each of them. And then we have our Everything Church Pro University. If you want to jump in there, you can. I have it pulled up here. So this is our university, and I have this comment by Brian. He's like, I was expecting this video to be a bit boring. And I, I had to laugh at that. He said, but you all make it interesting with some of your conversations and questions for us to ponder on. I almost finished it. And that was about uh, our Old Testament survey course when he was going through the book of Genesis. And so if you're interested in this, our goal is to make this the most inexpensive Bible college in existence, okay? And so we're just building it right now. So if you want to join us, you could jump in at $4.99 a month. And it's so inexpensive, but hopefully that's a blessing to you. But now we're going to jump right into the scriptures. I'm excited for Revelation. We're in Revelation 2. So if you're able to, you got your Bible there. We're in Revelation 2. We're going to begin in verse number 12, Revelation 2, 12. And since my voice is a little weak, I'm going to have Jonah, I'm going to have you read this. And if you'll read chapter 2, verse 12, and just read all the way down to almost to verse 18 there, and then we'll start diving in and talking about it. All right. Uh, and to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword yeah. with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee. Because I was uh, there, them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. 
Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Oh, man. So this is full of a lot of stuff here. And so we're going to jump right into the beginning. This is to the angel of the church in Pergamos. So this is a local church in Pergamos. And he's saying these things to this local church, not to every church in existence, but to this church. He says, these things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith. I love that. You haven't denied my faith. Even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, which is the word for witness, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Okay, so we've got this introduction here, and it's it starts off really good. It And it's have you ever read the book, The One Minute Manager? I don't know if you've read that before, but no. it talks basically about the sandwich method where you, you start off oh. with something positive and then you go into the negative and then you go into something positive. It seems like he stole that from Jesus. Jesus was the one who originally did this. He's always starting off with, if there is a positive, he starts <laughs> off with something that's a little positive and then he gives them the thing that's a rebuke and then he gives them the positive at the end. And so here he starts off very positive, but we've said in our last uh, mine coffee, maybe leaving the one before that. I don't know if it was in the one before that. We talked about how the way Jesus introduces himself to each church is key. We need to see. And here he says, he's the one with the sharp sword with two edges. The one with the sharp sword with two edges. So I think, I don't know if we can comment on it quite yet. Maybe we should save why that's there until we get further in. But do you have any initial thoughts on why the sharp sword with two edges? Um, the obviously what probably does come to mind to a lot of people who reads this should maybe be Hebrews four twelve. Oh, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And so we know that God's word is that uh, two edged sword, and we see that I believe even in this passage this sword's coming out of his mouth. And yeah. so um, it's very powerful. And so that's the first thing, obviously, when I think of that, it's going to be the word of God. It's, a, it's amazing because we're going to see this sword out of his mouth come into play in Revelation a few times. And it's, it's what devours the enemies in the end. And he says that he's the one with the sharp sword, which I, I would think in their minds. So in our minds, we don't really carry around swords anymore. That's like, okay, this is kind of an interesting picture. But for them, they would have clearly pictured that Roman centurion, the Roman soldier with that sword, that if you didn't do what was supposed to be done, they held the sword for a reason. And the sword was there to punish evildoers or those who wouldn't obey and wouldn't listen. And he says, guys, you are very concerned about maybe those swords, the physical swords, but I want you to make sure you remember who's got the real sharp sword with two edges. That's me. I'm still the authority here. I'm still the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he says, so now think about that. I'm the one who holds the sword. You guys are worried about the, the centurions, but think about me. I'm the one who holds the sword and I know your works. And mm. so uh, this isn't, you can't get off. I know your works. And I, I love this. He doesn't just say your works and where you live, where you dwell even where Satan's seat is, which we were doing a little bit of study. I was reading Wearsby. You were reading 
Phillips and Henry, Matthew Henry. And -hmm. I think they're mostly all in agreement that this might be referring to uh, Caesar's temple that was first made in Pergamus, but maybe not. We don't know. But this is one reason. This is one thing that they said is it might be Caesar's temple, which was here in Pergamus, where they actually worshiped Caesar as a deity. And so he relates that to Satan's seat. Now, is that the truth? I'm not sure. This might just be also that God is saying this is where Satan is ruling from. Uh, I think we know that Satan is not omnipresent. Some people would give that attribute to Satan uh, unknowingly. They would think that he's everywhere. He's tempting everybody. But the truth is, Satan's not omnipresent. He can't. So so God, the Holy Spirit can be with me. He can be with you listening. He can be with Jonah over there in Medford. He can be with each of us right now. Satan can't. Satan has to be in one spot. And it seems like at least in the time of this writing, this is where Satan literally was making shop. This is where he was setting up uh, his throne and his kingdom was here in the the city of Pergamos, and I think that's interesting. But I want to turn it over to you before I keep going. What do you think about this whole Satan seat and where Satan dwells? What's all this all this about? The one thing that I think is interesting, and actually, uh, the different people and different dictionaries do give different definitions, and so I do want to point that out. But uh, I think the majority of the definitions we saw for this city, yeah, was fortified which is uh, very interesting. Yeah, Pergamus, uh, a definition means fortified. And that's the city that Satan decided to set up his headquarters, if you want to call it during this time. And uh, a very, very fortified kind of, man, I am safe here. I can get a lot of my kind of work done here. And which is definitely a huge commendation to this church at Pergamus. Yeah. Uh, what, Christ says to them right after, "Hey, I know your works. Even where Satan's seat is, you have you've held fast to my name and has not denied my faith, oh, which huge. is huge. Um, even in the middle of this fortified headquarters of Satan, uh, this church, uh, Jesus says, you're you're holding fast. Good job. <laughs> you haven't denied my faith, uh, which is awesome. And so, uh, oh, just huge. looking at those definitions." Wow, opens eyes. Yeah, so they're in the fortified city, basically Satan's Satan's headquarters. And he says, you guys are staying strong. And I think that should be all of our desires is but you might feel like you're in the worst city in America, the worst city in the world. You might just think that where you're, what situation you're in is in a terrible situation and you don't know if you can stay faithful to God. But look at, look at Pergamus. He says that they hold, they held fast. They did not deny the faith. Even Antipas, we don't know much about him except for right here in this text. There's no other place he's mentioned uh, except for some, I guess, later on people trying to talk about this, but we're not even going to reference that. But it says here that he was his faithful martyr. He was his faithful witness. He was a representative of God in the gospel faithfully, even unto death. He was slain among them. And this is something that God commended them. He's like, you were slain among you where Satan dwells. So, uh, friend, no matter how dark the night, remember, you can stay faithful to God. You really can. But we now take the turn from the positive uh, to the negative. Because he Mm. does say, I have a few things against thee, which uh, always when somebody like starts with the sandwich method, if you've ever heard the sandwich method before, you know it's coming. 
like, yeah, I just want to tell you, you've been doing a really good job. You know, maybe they're like, yeah, you've been so friendly and you're smiling a lot and just making the people feel really welcome. But, but I, I do have to say, whenever you hear that, it's kind of like, oh no, here it comes. Like they're about to, they're about to lay the thing on me. And that's what kind of happens here with Jesus. He's like, you've been doing good, been staying faithful, but I have a few things against thee uh, because, and here it is, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam. Jonah, you want to give us, before we dive into the rest of this, I guess we can read here and then you can give us uh, a, a summary of Balaam. Uh, but it says, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. And so Balaam, give us kind of a, a background, a quick one on him in the book of Numbers of Deuteronomy and what happened there. Yeah, so there was this king who is trying to get this prophet to curse the nation of Israel. Yeah. And uh, God says, do not go unless I give you clear direction. Hmm. And what do we see the very next thing this prophet doing? He's going without yeah. God's clear direction. And uh, that's where we see the talking donkey because the angel, it sees the angel he does in and all that. And he's uh, just kind of a, it's not funny, but it is funny when you yeah. read about it. Uh, but he doesn't ever, he, he keeps saying, can I curse? Can I curse? And God's saying, no, do not curse uh, this nation. I have blessed them. And so he keeps going back to the kings. I can't curse him. It's only blessing for this. And then he says, well, you, if you just corrupt them, that's fine. Because if you corrupt them, uh, God will be mad. Yeah, he, then they'll diminish. Him. Yeah, he'll judge them. And so if you can just corrupt Israel, you don't have to curse them, just corrupt them. And so uh, that's what we see there in the Old Testament. Oh, it, that's huge. And so he couldn't curse, but they could corrupt. And I don't remember how many it was that died because of that. There was thousands, 24,000 who died mm. because of the compromise. Okay, so so he couldn't curse them, but he tells Balaam or Balak, he says, if you send your daughters in and you woo them away and they get corrupted and all these other things, God will judge them. And that's what happened. 20, was it 24,000? Is that what I just said? <clears throat> Around 24,000 Israelites died because they compromised due to Balaam teaching Balak how to get them to stumble. And so he's saying, there are people in your church who are compromising with the doctrine of Balaam, meaning, meaning they are flirting with the world and they yeah. are having relations with the world that they ought not be having. And, and this is so sad. This is so sad that this is even in churches today <laughs> and people think it's okay. Uh, the doctrine of Balaam, thinking that you can, you can do what the world does. It's all fine. I mean, we're under grace. We're under grace. And, and because we're under grace, you do you, man. You think that that worldly practice is cool? Dude, God's cool with it. Just bring it into the church. You think that that way of, of dressing is awesome? <laughs> Come on, bring it on in. That's, that's great. Bring it in. Oh, you think that lifestyle is now okay because it's okay in the world? <sighs> Let them be your pastor. Bring it, bring it into the church because, because God, God doesn't really care about those things. I mean, he's, he's new. He's, hip now. And I'm, I'm saying this, <clears throat> I hope you understand that I'm not saying this in truth. I hope you understand I'm being satirical here. Friend, that's what's happening in our church today. And it's disgusting. And I want us to see what God thinks of it. He says the doctrine of Balaam, when you bring the world in, and you 
begin to worship things that you should not be worshiping in his, in his own church. Look at, he says this, you have these people who are doing these things that are wicked. He says, you also have the, the Nicolaitans, which we've already mentioned. Interesting that their names mean similar to Lord over the people, to reign over the people. Very interesting. But he says, you need to repent or I will come to thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Okay, friend, God takes what happens in his local church very seriously. Uh, we're here at Satan's seat and where Satan dwells and they're staying faithful to the truth of the gospel. That's, that's very key. So you can have a church that stays faithful to the gospel, that preaches the good news, that preaches about Jesus, that Jesus is king, and yet they bring in worldly things and they bring in worldly practices. And God says, you could be doing all the, the faithfulness with Jesus, but if you bring in the worldly things, you need to repent or else I'm gonna come and fight against you. We would be thinking he'd be fighting against Satan in Pergamos, and he is. He's fighting against Satan. He's fighting against those things. But he says, if you bring Satan's doctrines inside the walls of the church, I'm not just going to stop at the outside and fight against Satan where he dwells. I'm going to have to come into your church and fight against the people who are holding to these false doctrines. And so he says, repent, turn from this stuff. It's, oh, it's, it's getting me fired up. I'm ready to just keep on going, but I want to turn it over to you. What comments do you have about this section? Definitely. I will probably talk about it again throughout the next couple churches. Um, but what really helped me see the context of these uh, letters or messages to the angels or the messengers of these churches, um, that's exactly what I failed the first several times we read through this uh, as we were talking about it earlier. Um, was this is this is a message from Christ to the angel or the messenger of the church in yeah. Pergamos. And so uh, if anyone uh, listening can just put themselves in the shoes of the messenger, it's indicting to both the messenger yeah. and the church. And so it's a, it's a, it is a, it is a message to the messenger because that's what it says. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos. So it's an, a message to the uh, angel, but also to the church. And so when Christ is saying these things, man, I know your works messenger i know you're doing good you haven't denied my faith and all that um even in satan's seat where, where satan's seat is uh but i have a few things against you not just you as a messenger but as a church in a whole so if i'm having to read this message as the pastor or the messenger to this church the people listening to it uh-oh yeah, he's probably talking about me. I'm holding to this doctrine. I'm holding to that doctrine. But even though these people in the church are hearing this message, the one, the messenger, uh, the pastor, the messenger of it, this church, has to feel terrible yeah. reading these words to this church and saying, I'm allowing some of my people to hold these doctrines. Yeah, it, yeah Christ might be saying some bad things about the people in the church, and they probably are feeling conviction. But I'm feeling just as much as convic uh, conviction because... I'm supposed to be the under shepherd and yeah. uh, protecting and guiding them. And so, yeah, it's their fault, but it's also my fault. And so uh, we just got to keep that in mind that, man, it's everyone in this church. It's a body of Christ. When one member is suffering, the entire body suffers. Uh, thank you for bringing that out because this local church and it's amazing. God deals with each local church individually. Each one is its own body in Christ. He doesn't judge 
Ephesus by Pergamus or Pergamus by, by Thyatira. He's looking at this local church. They are one. He, he really talks to them as like one entity, the same way when, when uh, uh, Achan sinned, he said Israel hath sinned back in, in the book of, of Joshua, that he viewed Israel as one entity. And if one member sinned, the whole was in, was in a problem. So we see that time and time again with these churches. He's like, your whole church is in the wrong because there are some who are in your church who hold to these doctrines. And so the pastor, he needs to be warned. Hey, you need to be shepherding the right way. <clears throat> but also the people. I love that. I love that. And so, friend, if we're seeing the doctrine of Balaam creep up in our church, we've got to talk to him. Let's say that you're in a local church and you're seeing this come into your church. I'd encourage you to go talk with your pastor and just say, Pastor, I'm seeing this worldly stuff come into our church. We got to talk about this. We got to see what's going on. I know as the under shepherd, we need to make sure, Pastor, that that this is not going to be happening. And I just want to bring this to your attention. Maybe you don't know this is going on, but I know this is serious. I want to look at some of these. Uh, the but after the positive affirmation. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's that's always the uh-oh, uh-oh, something's coming. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Mark. Paul warns us about this uh, with strong language. God forbid. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Romans 6, 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 100%. 100%. And so now we're going to turn from his indictment to his, I guess, warning and promise of blessing. Uh, so he says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This opens it up right here to you and me. And so he's saying, yes, I'm speaking directly to this local church, but now I'm going to open it up for anybody to, who, who, who's willing and has an ear to hear. They can hear what I am talking to each of these local churches about. And they can also have victory over this to him that overcometh, meaning that this promise is not just to this church. It's to all who will hear, whoever will listen. He says to him that overcometh, which I want to go back and talk about this again. But we did talk about this in our previous podcast, and uh, it's going to come up again and again. This word overcoming, which if we take is a first John, if we take it in the context of the scriptures, overcoming is not by our effort and by our strength. It's by faith. It's by faith. And if, if you don't know much about that, I would encourage you to listen to our previous one. But you overcome by faith in Jesus Christ. He says, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone. And in the stone, a new name written, which no man knoweth, saying him that receiveth it. I'm going to try to clear my face out. And so Jonah, if you'll take this last section, and then I'll comment on it uh, right afterwards. I'm going to switch over to one that your picture's not on yet, but I'll put your picture on there, okay? And so... Uh -huh. Uh, if you'll comment on this section, that would be huge. For sure. So I have absolutely no idea. Um, we got we, we have some ideas, but none of them are concrete. I they're conjectures trying to figure out what it could be. But him that to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and so we know manna. What is it? Uh, that's what it means. It was the bread that uh provide was Israel's provision uh in the wilderness uh, and so what there there was also manna uh, put into the ark as well some people might think oh man it's an amazing privilege if they get to eat that manna whatever it is it's a great privilege regardless mm. <laughs> it's hidden manna it's special because it's hidden it's not just the common i guess manna uh, i'll give him a white stone uh I didn't necessarily understand what that meant the first time. I did have to do some research. I think we, we came to the same conclusion after we both studied it out. Um, the white stone um, during this time 
there was judges. If you were innocent or clear and free of whatever accusation was brought against you, the judge would give you a white stone. If you were guilty, you would get a black stone. Um, and so it seems like, man, that's a pretty cool picture. If Christ, uh, the judge gives you a white stone because you overcame, because you had that faith in the the Messiah, man, he's saying you are clear and free. Mm. Uh, there's no condemnation on you, which if we get to it, oh man, it's already uh, just about 630. Uh, I think it's the, the last church we planned on doing. Man, I love just the way Christ talks about those who are saved. Yeah. It's just an amazing thing. Yeah. But that white stone, uh, clear and free. Free. Uh, and in the stone, a new name, which no man knoweth, saving he that received just the closeness that yep. you and Christ can have just, man, it's only you two that have that uh, amazing uh, union or communion, I should say. Mm. Pretty cool. I would agree. So I think what we're seeing here is, I, I don't know what then man is, like you were saying. It might be what's in the ark. I don't know. And he's saying, I'm going to give you a special privilege. And I think about David eating the showbread. You know, it's mm -hmm. like that was not lawful for him to eat, but he was about to die. But but it's like that special bread that that's that's sacred, that God's giving you the permission that you get to come in and, and, and fellowship with me. I think about we talk about this in the university, about the those peace offerings and the 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 those those sacrifices where it was more of like a fellowship time. Mm -hmm. It's like you get to come in, you get to eat of the hidden manna, the manna that's reserved, the manna that's special, like you were saying. And I love that white stone, what you already said about it. And that new name that no man knoweth. Just that it's kind of, I, I love to give people nicknames. I don't know if you like doing that, uh, but just giving people nicknames that, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's a special thing between us. And I think Jesus loved giving people nicknames too. I mean, he gave uh, John, John and James, the sons of thunder, and he <laughs> called Peter Simon. He's like, you know, you're going to be a, a pebble. You're going to be a rock. Or I, I called Simon Peter. I got that backwards. <laughs> uh, and so he calls people these nicknames. And I think here, you know, you might get your own nickname from Jesus. Uh, not everyone's going to know it, just you and him. And it's going to be that special name that he calls you, that you know, and that he knows. It's that, that symbol of unity and that closeness. I love it. And so I believe we've covered this first church here, Pergamus. But I guess the exhortation, and I, I want to bring this up. I think this is really good. Verse 17 gives each of us a measure of accountability. Uh -huh. Isn't that so true? We can't say, well, that's their church. And well, they got to get that right. No, it's for us. We need to listen. And here we are accountable. Thank you for that, Belinda. That's huge. Uh -huh. But I do believe if we're going to get this, we got to realize we're not letting the world in. We're not letting Satan have a foothold in our life through wrong practices, through wrong uh, uh, philosophies and doctrines. We've got to make sure that we stand pure. So let's go to the second church for the next half of this, uh, of our Pokemon coffee. So here we are. We're in uh, verse number 18, and it says this, Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know thy works, thy charity, thine service and faith and thy patience and thy works. Again, we get that twice and the last to be more than the first. And so this is the positive section. I was doing a little bit of reading about Thyatira, and I guess they had a temple to Apollo, the sun god. And it was Wearsby who said that might be why he references himself as the son of God here. I'm not sure uh, if that's why he references himself as the son of God here. But he does. 
very clearly say to this church in Thyatira, I am the son of God, and I have my eyes like a flame of fire, which I believe definitely will show itself as we come on to him knowing he searches the reins, the hearts. Uh, he knows what's going on in that church. He's got eyes that pierce. And the truth be told, I don't quite understand this image. Um, the feet are like fine brass. I, I was trying to think about this all last night. The feet are like fine brass. What in the world did the feet symbolize in their mindset? Like his sturdiness? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. And maybe you guys have your own opinion on that. Uh, but I, I'd encourage you to think about it and keep meditating on it. But I don't know quite off the top of my head. But I love verse 19, how he just, I mean, he just goes on and on. Thy works, thy charity, service, faith, patience. Oh, did I mention your works? <laughs> and he says in that the last is more than the first there. You guys are living basically uh, by the Sermon on the Mount. This is huge. The last is first and the first is last. This is amazing. And so he gives a lot of good good commendations. And then we get that notwithstanding or that but that we talked about. But John, I want, do you have any comments on these first section about the, the positive before he gets into the notwithstanding? It always, no, I know there is going to be a kind of a but kind of moment, but do got to um, always enjoy <laughs> uh, when the savior of the world, the God of the universe is yeah. giving you these men. Good job on your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. Yeah. yeah and your works too. <laughs> um, and so definitely oh, that's a, that's a pretty long list. Yeah, of, it is. They are doing all the right things. And so um, they very great to see. Um, and, and I'm sure as the messengers reading it, <laughs> yes, awesome. <laughs> all these other churches, what... man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, for sure, awesome to see that. And that is the funny thing is because as you get later and later in the list, you've read all the other churches. And you're, ooh, ouch. Oh, ouch. Man, that's, yeah, they're not doing very good. And then you're probably getting nervous for your own church coming mm -hmm. up. Like, oh, no, oh, no. What's he going to say about ours? And then you get this long list and you're thinking, okay, okay, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking if God, if Jesus popped into the room at Grants Pass Baptist Church here in Grants Pass, Oregon, and he's like, all right, I'm going to talk to you guys about what I think of your church. And he started by saying, hey, guys, I want to let you know, I know your works and I know your love and I know how much you serve and I know you're, you're, you're staying true to the faith. You have great faith and your patience, your endurance and your works again. And that the last is more than the first here. You guys are humble and you put the lower ones first. I'm thinking, hallelujah, this is awesome. This is great. But then we have to get to that, that sad word, that transition word, notwithstanding. Meaning, despite all the positives, I got a few things. I have a few things against thee. Why? Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. All right, John, I'm going to let you jump in first on this little section before we get into the rest of this. But what do you think about Jezebel and what's going on here? This is a weird, weird passage. Um, whether this is an actual lady during this time named Jezebel, which is in my mind crazy, who would ever want 
to name their kid Jezebel after knowing who Jezebel was in the Old Testament, or this is just a title. Um, I tend to lean towards it's just a title, but it could have very well been a real person as well. But this person who is calling herself a prophetess, the, the church, the messenger of this church, the angel of that church, the pastor, he's allowing or suffering yeah. this woman to teach his people. That's not a good thing. And not just to teach, um, but to also seduce uh, Christ's servants to commit fornication. And again, you could go both ways uh, because we do know a lot of religions um, actually had that physical kind of uh, immorality as part of their worship. And so it wouldn't be too far-fetched to say, this woman is saying that this kind of worship is also allowed in my church yeah. because it's allowed in all these other places of worship. And so this woman saying, yeah, it's fine. It's just another type of worship. And so it could be that, or it could be the doctrinal, doctrinal kind of fornication where she's just leading them astray. Um, and then it says, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. It's almost like that Balaam thing and saying, yeah, just, just do what everyone else is doing. And it's just crazy. The juxtaposition verse 19. Hey, you're doing awesome. I know your works. Yeah. However, how are you guys letting this person who's calling herself a prophetess teach you guys these things and seduce you guys to do things that are wrong? I would never be okay with and actually abhor. Yeah. No, that's huge. And so I, I, I don't know where I stand with Jezebel. Because it's it does sound like such a terrible name. Like who would name their kid Jezebel? Yeah. I mean, especially after all the things that happened in the Old Testament. So so I can understand both sides. I'm just gonna take it in my mind as either or. Okay, so it's either mm-hmm. this is a real name, or wh- if it's not, everyone knows who he's talking about. So basically, it's her mm-hmm. name. And yeah. so there's this lady there who is teaching and seducing the servants to commit fornication. I want to explore that that real side. Because because a lot of times if you read a commentary, they immediately jump to spiritual fornication and they just boom, they don't they don't even think about is this literally is this literally happening in the church? Because it's unthinkable. It's like, how could that happen in a church? But we're living in a time when this is happening more and more. And we're seeing and I, I'm not going to even call them men of God. We're, we're seeing people in the church who are leaders. And they are seducing people who are under them to commit fornication and they will tell them God's okay with this. Uh, I've talked to God about this and because I'm in this role, this is okay. This is sanctified. This is all okay. And they are seducing God's servants to do this. And so I just want to take a second and say, this is, this could be what's literally happening. Um, And we need to be warned. And first of all, I also want to say, if you're listening to this, be warned that if somebody who ever claims to be a man of God, or let's even say a, a lady of God says, well, guys, this is okay. God's okay with this because X, Y, or Z run. I mean, be like Joseph, get out of there. Don't even hang around. That's a lie from the devil himself. Uh, God is against fornication in every single way. And so there's never a sanctified way. There's never a, someone who's exempt from uh, living sexually pure. We've got to make sure that we don't fall prey to this lie. Um, and so this lie is something that's a tale as old as time and, and people fall for it over and over and over again because uh, the person was charming or they were powerful or they were attractive, whatever it was, 
but there's never an okay time <laughs> to commit fornication. And so mm-hmm. he says, hey, guys, you know, you're, you're working for me. You love each other fervently. You're serving. You're a faith. You have patience. You have works. Yet you have somebody in your church that you're allowing to be there. Okay, you are allowing this person to stay, and this person is seducing people to commit fornication, and she's seducing people to eat things sacrificed to idols, meaning it's okay to worship kind of both gods, and it's it's okay to kind of let some of the world in and also do this thing. God's going to be okay with it. We talked about it with the last church where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We've got a lot of grace. Let's just live in it. We can just live how we want, but friends... <laughs> We cannot, we cannot take this mindset. And I, I want to say there's a, a movement out there that's just hyper unity, hyper unity. And that's kind of this. These people thought they were being very loving by just, okay, we don't want to separate from this lady. I mean, we want we keep her in. She's not right, but we want her to stay here. We want all this to happen. But look at what Jesus says. I gave her a space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. And behold, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And, and so, so it says, I will give to everyone according to your works. This is, this is very strong language. God's saying, hey, I'm going to deal with this if you will not. That's basically what he's saying. It's like, if you will not deal with this, I will deal with this and it will be much more severe than what you would have done. I I think this would be a warning to us in two ways. Friends, there is a very clear uh, uh, in in Corinthians and also I believe in the Timothys and Titus that when somebody is not holding to sound doctrine and their life is unruly, we are supposed to separate from them. In fact, it says don't even go to eat with a brother. And I think it's 2 Corinthians 5 who says they are a Christian and yet lives in an adulterous way, we're not even supposed to go eat with them. And the whole purpose is not so that we can like crush them and hate them, but it's for reconciliation. That's the whole purpose of this separation and that they weren't doing this. And so he says, if you won't do that, I'm going to have to do something more severe than just not eating with them. I'm going to have to come and I will judge them. They will be cast into great tribulation and I will kill her children with death. This is, this is very serious, and the whole purpose is that the churches shall know that I'm he which searches the hearts. When this judgment falls, everyone's going to recognize, like what happened with Ananias and Sapphira, the, the Bible says that nobody wanted to join themselves to the church because it's serious. God's alive, and God sees. He says, when this happens, people are going to know I'm still around, I'm not messing around, and I know what's going on on the inside. Friend, we can't fool God. He's got eyes like a flame of fire. He knows what's going on in your heart and in your life. The truth is he knows what you were watching before you clicked on this. He knows what you're going to watch after you click on this. He knows where you go. He knows what you take into your body. He knows what you're thinking. And we can act like, you know, I go to church and I'm basically all good then because I, everyone else thinks I'm really holy because I go to church. But God's trying to say, hey, hey, here's the truth. You can fool everybody else, but I've got eyes that search like a flame of fire and I will judge according to your works. I'm going to give you what you deserve. And it's supposed to be a big warning, a big warning. I'm going to turn it over to you before I just keep on going on this. What are your thoughts on this section? Definitely would agree with everything you said. Um, Just that classic principle we see throughout um, all of scripture, really. Uh, Jesus even called out the religious folk of his day, man, the outside of the cup looks great. And that's what he started off in verse 17, was it, or 19? 
man, you're doing the works. You have the charity of the service, the faith, the patience. Um, so everything on the outside looks great. But then at the very end, he says, I'm the one that searcheth yeah. uh, the inward parts as well. Man looking on the outward, I look on the heart. And so just because you're doing all the right things uh, doesn't mean you're what you're where you're supposed to be uh, in your relationship or your fellowship uh, with me. So and throughout the entire Old Testament, it's all about the heart. Um, he just wants the heart because if he has the heart, he has the entire person. Um, and so uh, I see that throughout this entire church and especially in our day and age as well. Yeah. Definitely churches individuals uh, could relate so easily to this uh, church and them allowing those kinds of people because we might be that very person of, yeah, the outside looks fantastic, but it's just all a show. I don't really hold to those things when no one's watching or looking. Um, and God is saying, uh, it's serious when you, when you're like that. So, yeah, no, that's so huge. God knows our hearts. I want to look here. These types of people usually do not take well to their actions being compared to Jezebel, but mm. it's necessary to take action before God does. Mm. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. And I think that's another thing our churches are missing out on is realizing that taking action is loving. Uh, mm. Just letting somebody exist and do what they want to do is not the loving thing to do. Just letting my kids walk around in the freeway is not loving because they want to do it. We've mm. got to be, those who provoke to love and to good works. And so we need to call out sometimes sin. And when it's sin, sin always destroys. And it's loving to call it out because we don't want them to be destroyed by their sin or by God's judgment. And so we have here Jezebel. And whew, may we not be Jezebel. I think we should all take a moment and not just assume that we're not. Um, I think we should just ask God, God, show me. Is, is this in me? Because uh, I I don't want to be this. I don't want to be this. Because uh, I think a lot of us jump immediately to, is this in my church? Should I be looking at Who should mm -hmm. I? Who should I? Oh, that's Jezebel over there. Let's kick her out. Uh, but that should not be our heart. Our heart should be, is this me? First of all, mm -hmm. is, is this me? And so it says here, but I say unto you and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which I love. There's many who don't have this doctrine. It says, which have not known the depths of Satan. Friends, mm -hmm. God equates this with the depths of Satan. He says, as they speak, I will put on you none other burden, which is so amazing. This is so like Jesus. He says, hey, those of you who are not living this way, you guys are doing good. I mean, like I already gave you this huge long list up here. You guys are doing great. Just keep it up. Just keep living right. He says, I'm not going to put anything else on you, but that you would just hold fast till I come. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And he goes on to say, and he that overcometh by faith, we're just going to keep that in. And keepeth my works unto the end. Unto him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the potter, uh, or as the vessels of a potter shall be broken uh, to shivers, even as I have received my father, and I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So we have here, we've got Jesus saying that he's going to give them uh, power over the nations to rule with the rod of iron. Uh, we also see that he's going to give them the morning star. And so I think this is an interesting section. I'm going to let you take it first, and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of bring up the end with this commenting here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I completely understand all the nuances of uh, these verses, but I do see that if you have, again, that faith, if you overcome, 
we're we are heirs. We're joint heirs with Christ, and so we can rule. And one day we we will uh, with Christ. And so that's what I see uh, right here. I'll give you power over the nations, and you'll rule with a rod of iron uh, under the 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 lion. That the king uh, during his second coming. And so that's pretty awesome. And then I never saw this correlation, and it might not even be a correlation. Uh, I'd like to hear your uh, take on it after I say it, but I'll give him the morning star. You said at the very beginning, this church had a temple to Apollo, the sun god. And so they're that's saying, interesting. yeah. And so you guys are possibly uh, with this Jezebel and all that, you go into this, the temple and they're they're teaching you to uh teaching you and trying to seduce you to do all these th- bad things and you're trying to get maybe um what you what you say compromise or whatever you're saying we can have all these different gods apollo's nothing yeah. i'll give you the morning star you don't need the sun god that star the morning star is so much more powerful than what you might think as uh, the sun god and so there's no comparison. And again, just uh, something that came to mind, just in the context of the history, if there was the temple of the sun God there, mm-hmm. and he's saying, hey, I'll give you something better. tremendously better. I'll give you the morning star. And so uh, that, that was an interesting thing that I kind of tried to put together after I heard that this had the temple of the morning star or the temple of Apollo. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I like that correlation that whatever you miss out on here, God's got something way better for us in the next life. And I think it was, he was talking to his apostles when they said, Hey, we left all and followed you. What what are we going to get? He's like, Hey guys, nobody's left anything. That's not going to receive a hundredfold in this life and much more in the life to come. And so the truth is whatever you think you're, you're missing out on, God's got something 10 times better for you. Maybe not in this life, maybe not right here, but in the life to come, he's trying to show them, guys, there's nothing on earth that can compare. And so I love that he says, I'll give you power over the nations. Again, one of the things that that held me back in agnosticism was I thought that God was selfish. I thought that he wanted just, you know, absolute everything for himself. But the truth is, I mean, he, he shares so much. He says, I'm willing to give you power over the nations. Like, obviously, it's going to be under him, but it's, he tries to make it to where it feels like it's almost equal with him. Although it's not, he's going to be over us. He, he wants to bring us so high where he says that you'll rule them with a rod of iron, which is what he's going to do. He's the one who's going to rule with the rod of iron. He's like, I'm going, to, I'm going to share that with you. You're going to be able to do this too. And then he says, and the vessels of a potter, uh, they shall be broken to shivers, even as I received my father. And he says, and I will give him the morning star, which later on in Revelation, that's himself. He says, I am the morning star. And and so he says, I'm going to give you me, like all of me. We're going to be able to share each other completely in this uh, this new creation. And so, friend, there is a great reward to those who overcome. And they just keep compounding. They just keep building. And so I think for us, we got to make sure we're not Jezebel. But we've got to realize there is a big reward ahead. More amazing than a Lamborghini, more amazing than a mansion, more amazing than clout or fame or popularity, more amazing than anything this world can offer. There's something even better ahead. And so like we talked about in Hebrews, we need to be willing to suffer affliction now. (laughs) Why? Because we have that hope of what's coming in the future. And so I know this was a more intense, uh, I guess, uh, podcast. Friends, 
if we have questions on this section, I, I'm telling you, I get fired up about this because we live in, in a day and age when, when people don't deal with sin and they don't deal with it biblically. I think it needs to be dealt with with love. A hundred percent and always for the desire for restoration. But we need to make sure that we deal with things God's way before he has to come in and deal with them in a much more severe way. And so maybe one day, if you guys have questions on this, we can do, do a deeper dive into, I guess, this doctrine of, uh, of discipline and separation. What, why does God ask for this? Why in the world is this even in the Bible? Because uh, I think we should have a biblical theology of, of this, especially in this day and time. But uh, I'm thankful for each and every one of you. I want to look over here. Brother Gary, it's good to see you. Uh, hopefully work went well today. I know that you're just getting off, but hopefully you had a good day at work today. Um, but if you guys have any other questions, we've got about five minutes left. Uh, if anyone's got a question, feel free to drop it into the comments. I want to look over here. Uh, Belinda said from a, a little reading that I had done, the brass has a lot to do with purification and judgment, which is awesome. I mean, that fits so well into this section with that purification and judgment showing you got to purify yourself as I am pure uh, from this uh, Jezebel in your midst and the fornication and the sacrifice to idols, but also the judgment that if you don't, judgment's coming. So I, I like that. I'm going to see if there's anything else here. Let me see. I don't think I see any other questions. Let me. I think I have one more comment here I haven't read. I think Jezebel could be the actions of a person or persons that behaved the same way that Jezebel did by seducing the members of the church into immoralities or spiritually carrying the evil uh, carrot, so to speak. Yeah, no, 100%. That could definitely be it right there. All right, any other questions or comments? These have been awesome. I don't see any popping up, but it's good to see each and every one of you, and I pray this was a blessing to you. And again, if you have questions about anything that I said, maybe I offended you with how intense I come across sometimes. I'm telling you, as a preacher, sometimes you get fired up, and uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. So hopefully I didn't offend you my, come on, guys, let's be holy. Let's do what's right. Let's not go this route. Uh, but if I did, you can comment or write him a, 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 a very angry email or something like that. That's pretty cool. Uh, Brother <laughs> Gary, you might have a question after you watch the replay of 400%. But I'm glad to see each and every one of you. But I think that's it. Is there anything you want to add to the end here, Jonah? No, I think uh, what a what a blessing these, a blessing and a uh, challenge oh. these uh, couple churches that we covered today were. Oh, a hundred percent! I'm excited for the rest. I mean, we've got still what is it, three churches left, and these mm. three churches again, they they are not easy to read. They've got a lot of scathing things going on, and so we're gonna read through these and be challenged ourselves because all of us have a long way to go. But I'm thankful that you're here with us, Jonah. I'm thankful for all of you guys who watched, whether live or the replay. But I hope you guys have a blessed day today. Stay strong. Stay faithful to God. And amazing. He's got amazing grace. So if you've ever fallen away, repent, believe that, or, or, or I guess confess your sin, and believe he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and start walking close to him again. He's such a gracious God. And let's, let's do that today. But we'll see you guys, Lord willing, next week.